If you have your Bible today, please open with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 14, and we're going to read a few verses out of Psalm 14, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 14, verse 1. And um, a few years ago, I heard an old preacher. He was, he was an old evangelist, and he was the old-style evangelist. You know the kind I'm talking about. That I mean, he was, he was rip-roaring, snot-slinging. I mean, he, was, he would get after it, and he'd get after people. And one day he, uh, he told a story, and, and uh, he told it like it was true, so I'm going to assume it was. He, uh, he missed a, a connecting flight or, or something. And um, anyhow, something, something like that happened, and he and another man that he didn't know ended up uh, deciding to ride together. So they had a shared destination, and as they were driving in the car, they were talking, and, and this other man said to, uh, said to this preacher, I'm an atheist. And this preacher said, oh, yeah, I read about you in the Bible the other day. And the man said, you didn't read about me. He said, yeah, I did. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And it's nice to meet you, Mr. Fool. And I really would have loved to have been just a, a fly on the wall, so to speak, because I don't know how long that car ride was, but I bet it, it was a little tense. I, I, I mention that because that is the psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 14, that tells us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, uh, there's not really a whole lot of intro that needs to go into that. So if you've found Psalm 14 and, and uh, are able to, I'd ask you stand. Uh, in honor of God's word, we'll read the first three verses. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have, done, they have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now there are three things I want you to see in this text. The first is a foolish declaration a foolish declaration looking in at verse one and that that very first line the psalmist says the fool has said in his heart there is no god now right away we come to a rub the fool has said in his heart there is no god now i say it's 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 a rub because in today's culture if you look at at what's going on in the media the way people are portrayed on tv and in the movies and uh, even even on on news programs when they have people that they interview and stuff like that who is it that's presented as the person who has it all together? Who is wise? Who is intelligent? Is it the believer or the atheist? It's always the unbeliever. The atheist is presented as the one who is wise, who is intelligent, who is educated. And the believer, they usually find somebody that they can portray as some kind of a, a backwoods, backwater nincompoop. And, and sometimes they portray them in TV shows that way or, on, uh, or on, in movies that way, on, on the news channels. But this verse tells us just the opposite. The fool is the atheist. The fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. Now, what you understand, when it talks about a fool, it's not talking about education. You can have all the letters after your name in the alphabet and still be a fool. It's not talking about intelligence. It's not talking about mental capacities or lack thereof. This word in, in, the, in the Bible has a moral uh, aspect to it. It's not talking about being unlearned or gullible or anything like that. The Bible says that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so to reject the very essence and existence of God is the height of foolery. It's the height of unintelligence. It's the height of, well, ridiculousness. Now, the question must be asked, why is it foolish to say not only with one's lips, but to say in one's heart, that means to think or to believe, why is it foolish to believe, to think that there is no God? Well, there are several reasons. One of the reasons is it's foolish is because it is a suppression of the knowledge of God that people already have. It's a suppression of the knowledge of God that people already have. Now, we didn't look at this uh, when we read our text, but the, the book of Romans talks about this quite a bit in the first chapter. Now, in Romans chapters 1 to 3, Paul lays out the case against all humanity that all are under sin. And he starts out talking about the Gentiles being under sin, and he talks about the Jews being under sin, and he wraps it all up and says, For all have sinned. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you have sinned. And in the process of that, in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that all people everywhere have some knowledge of God. They, they, they have some knowledge of God. The issue is not ignorance, it's suppression. See, in our unregenerate, unsafe state, people suppress the knowledge of God that's all around them. Paul tells, them, tells us first that God has given evidence of himself within them. Theologians call that the light of conscience. And so people inherently know right from wrong. They have a conscience. The unsaved person recognizes there are certain things that are wrong to do. It is wrong, and you don't have to be a Christian to understand this, it's wrong to set somebody's house on fire. It's wrong, and I read about this happening, uh, I read about this morning, it just happened a couple days ago. In New York, there were two men walking down the street, approached an 89-year-old woman that they, there's no indication they'd ever had any kind of interaction with. They approached this 89-year-old woman, slapped her, and set her, her shirt on fire. They know that's wrong. You don't have to be a, a, a Christian to know that ain't right. The people that did that knew that's wrong. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. People live in God's world. And even though the image of God is defaced because of sin, it's still there. And we know inherently that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. It's not eradicated. We know there's conscience. And so if there's a universal moral law, it's wrong to slap an 89-year-old woman who set her shirt on fire in New York, same as it is in Zimbabwe. If there's a universal moral law, there has, that, that moral law has to come from somewhere, a moral law giver, and that some, somewhere is it comes from God. It reflects his nature. He has revealed himself in conscience. But second, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself in nature. We have the light of creation. People can look around and see that God exists. You cannot look at the complexity of life, all the apparent and clear evidence of organization, of intelligence, of design. You cannot look at that and, and walk away and honestly say, that all happened by chance. There is no creator. God has shown himself in nature. Now, there are people who try to explain it away, don't they, through evolution and, and other means. But again, that is a suppression of the knowledge of God. There's an old comedian by Milton Berle. Does anybody remember him? Milton Berle had, had a, a good observation. I don't think he was a theologian, but he, he nailed this one. He said, if evolution really works, how come mothers only have two hands? 
I figured I'd get some amens from the moms. I mean, it, it wouldn't be nice to be like an octopus and you had eight of them and you just do all kinds of stuff. But listen, evolution's hogwash. Evolution is hogwash. Now, now this knowledge that we see in nature is not enough to save a person. You can look at the, you can look at the makeup of an eyeball. And there are parts, some people call this irreducible complexity. There are certain things that if, if any of them doesn't work, the whole eyeball doesn't work. It has to, all the pieces have to be there together to function correctly. And you can't look at that. I mean, you, you can look at that, but it's not going to tell you that you're a sinner. You can look at, at all, the, all the biology and you can look at all the things around us and all the, you know, the, the, the microscopic code that's in the DNA. It's far superior, far more complex than any of the computer code that we have. And that's in cells, little bitty tiny spaces. And you can look at that and say, that is amazing, but that doesn't tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So we can see the evidence of God in nature, but it's not enough to save us. The Bible does say, though, that, that there's enough there to clearly see God's invisible attributes, His, His eternal power and divine nature, so much so that everyone is without excuse. Everyone's without excuse. So, they, saying and thinking and believing there is no God is foolishness because it requires a person to suppress the knowledge of God they already have. But it's also foolishness because it is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God. It's, it's high treason to heaven's king. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. Your arms are too short to box with God. You will not win that fight. It's rebellion against him. And, and again, sometimes people deny the one true God, but they're religious. That shouldn't surprise us. Because Romans 1 tells us that, that, that sin has so infected and affects the person to the very core that they will replace worshiping God, the Creator, with worshiping idols made out of stone and wood and made in the image of, of, of human beings and four-footed animals and, and all sorts of stuff. And you say, well, that seems kind of crazy. Think about Egypt. They had all kinds of gods. You think about Hinduism today. They've got a god for everything. People would rather worship an idol than worship the Creator. And one last thing I just want to point out in verse 1 before we move on. To smooth out the wording into English, from Hebrew into English, our translators have supplied a couple words in verse 1. In verse 1, a more literal reading would say, The fool has said in his heart, No God. The translators have supplied, There is. The fool has said in his heart, No God. Now, given what Paul tells us in Romans 1 that, we've, that I've talked about, the person who says, No God is not doing so because of a lack of evidence, but because of a moral, spiritual condition. It's rebellion. And, and when I, I read this, and I think, I think of the person who says, No God, I think of a rebellious child. Have you ever talked to a child, and they didn't like what you were saying? Well, they do. I can't hear you. You ever seen that? And don't you just want to, you know? They want to wring their necks sometimes. Now, when they're doing that, can they really hear you? Of course they can. They just don't like what they're hearing. 
Now a person, the atheist, the person who worships these false gods, they can stick their hands, their fingers in their ears and close their eyes and say, I don't believe in you, I don't believe in you. They don't believe not because they can't see and they can't hear it, but because they don't like what they're seeing and hearing. Let's move on. So, first part of verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The next thing I want you to see very quickly is foul deeds. We have a a foolish declaration. Next, I want you to see foul deeds. The rest of verse 1. They're corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Now, I want you to consider what is the relationship between the first part of verse 1 and the second part of verse 1. What is the relationship between the person saying there is no God and the person who commits abominable deeds? Well, I think it should be pretty obvious they go hand in hand. Now, some people have said, well, maybe, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that they, is it that they committed the abominable deeds and so then they say, well, there is no God, so they're trying to console themselves, they're trying to, to, trying to give themselves hope that they'll not face judgment, that they'll not give an account to, to, to the Creator? That's very possible. Is it the other way around? Is it that they deny God and therefore they commit abominable deeds? They reject God, they reject His Word, His revelation, so they don't live the way God says to live. That's very very much the case as well. I think both of those things can be true in many instances. But I really like the way somebody put it. They said, the man begins by defying God, he ends with denying Him. The man begins by defying God, he ends by denying him. A rejection of God leads to wicked, foul deeds. That surely is not follow day. Last thing I want you to see in, uh, in the rest of verse 1 and then all the way down to verse 3 is far-reaching depravity. Far-reaching depravity. Now look at the end of verse 1. There is no one who does good. Well, and, and really, we'll work our way through this. And I want you to see this far-reaching depravity in two ways. First, we see that it affects every single person. There's not one person that's ever walked this earth apart from Jesus Christ that is not affected by depravity, by corruption, by having a, a moral stain, of, of having this draw towards evil. So it affects every person, but secondly, it affects every aspect of a person's being. Now look again at verse 1 right at the end. There is no one who does good. Verse 2, God looks out and observes all the sons of men. In other words, everybody. He's looking specifically for that person who does good. And what's the conclusion? Verse 3, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. How much plainer can you say it? I don't know how much more clearly the writer could, could could convey the universal nature of the depravity of man. God looks, he investigates, as it were, people. To say, is there a, a single person on the earth who does good? And God says, nope. And listen, if God can't find them, you're not going to find them either. Now, you say, Pastor, this seems kind of familiar, but I don't remember reading this in in the Old Testament. Well, it's probably because Paul quotes this in the book of Romans, where he lays out the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile alike have been corrupted. So this corruption, this depravity affects every person. 
but also touches every aspect of every person. No one does good. We've all turned aside. We've all turned away from the standards, the way that God has laid out. Isaiah 53 says that, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Now, you might be saying to yourself, now, how can the Bible say that, that no one does good on their own? Now, I just, I just want to throw this out there before I uh, forget again. If you'll look at, at verse 3, it says, They've all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. That word corrupt, in, used in different contexts, spoke of something that was undergoing putrefaction. That's a great big word. It means it was going rotten. And many times the, they would use that word to describe spoiled milk. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever left milk in your fridge long enough that's gone bad. But you probably have smelled some spoiled milk. You open up that bottle and whoo! You know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what the Bible says. People think that they're doing good. They think that they're, they're, they're making it, doing the best they can. And in God's sight... It's whoo, it's bad, it's rotten, it's corrupt, it's putrefied. Now, how can the Bible say that people don't do good on their own? Because all of us can probably think of somebody in our family, or somebody that we work with, somebody we've seen on TV that makes no claims to Christianity, in fact, maybe just the opposite, and they give millions of dollars to charity. They, they, they stand there, I don't know where they get the checks, not a commerce bank, but you know what I'm saying? They're great big things. And, and they'll, they'll have written great big, giving this organization $250,000, a million dollars, whatever it is. You can think of people that make no claim to Christianity that they'll work in the soup kitchens. They make no claim to Christianity that, that somebody in the community has a house fire, and man, they are there, they're getting them gift cards, they're getting them food, they're getting them clothing, and, and they're not Christians. They don't pretend to be Christians. How can the Bible then say that, that there's nobody who does good when obviously these things that they're doing benefit people? Well, I think the key is found in Hebrews 11.6. And Hebrews 11.6 says in part, without faith, remember the rest, it's impossible, not tough, it's impossible to please God. And I believe that's the key. Yes, the, the deeds they, they do may give a real benefit to people, but it's not united to faith, and therefore it's not pleasing to God. It's not complete, so to speak. Now, there's an ancient writer who addressed this, this question, this topic, and he used an illustration. I'm going I'm to borrow it. I'm going to modify it a little bit, but here's what he said. If a person lays a foundation and they build walls, but they don't put a roof on it, they don't do anything to the inside, has that person built a house? The answer to that is no. Now they have the foundation, they have the walls, but it's not complete. Likewise, people may do good works, they may help the poor, they may clothe the naked, feed the hungry, may do all those things. They may build the walls, but it's not complete. They don't have the roof on it. It's not united in faith, and therefore it is not pleasing to God. It's done with, with wrong motives. At the very least, it's not done to glorify God. Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The unsaved person has no interest in glorifying God. And even if they did, which they don't, but even if they did, they wouldn't be able to. Now, this is not to say that every person is as bad as they can be. But we just look around and we see that if God removes his restraining hand a little bit, 
The wickedness of man is on full display, isn't it? It affects everybody, and it affects every part of everybody. Now, the question before each of us today is, is whether or not the Bible would describe you and me as a fool. Not does the Bible say, have you gone to college? Have you create, uh, completed high school? Have, have you done this, that, or the other, educationally speaking? Not can you pass uh, this certain level on an IQ test? But do you say in your heart, do you believe there is no God? If that's the case, the Bible says you're a fool. If you believe in your heart, if maybe you reject the one true God because you hope. And there, we normally say hope and pray, but I guess if you don't believe there's anybody to pray to, you don't, don't hope and pray, you just hope that there's no God that you'll stand before. Listen, you can console yourself all you want that way. That doesn't change the fact that there is a God and you will stand before him. Your sin is not a secret to him. He knows about it. And all sin is punished. Either we're punished for it in hell, separated from God for eternity, or Jesus bore the punishment for that sin on the cross in the place of his people. The Bible says that if for the person who is trusted in Christ or who does trust in Christ, Jesus bore the wrath of God against their sin. On the cross, the Bible says Jesus bore our sin in his body. It was a, the Bible says, a propitiation. Again, another big word, which means he paid the debt. He paid the debt. It was a very real debt. It was a very real payment. And the Bible says that because of that, if any of us will put our faith in him, we'll be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will forgive our sins. He'll adopt us into his family. And if you've never done that, I plead with you to do that today. Now, for those of us who have done that, and I know many of us have, I want to encourage you because we look out and we see all these people that have all these letters after their names. They're on all the, all the TV shows, all the talk shows. And we may start to think that the fool is the one who believes in God. Because that's the, that's the message that we're getting 24-7. The, the, the real wise person is the one who rejects God. But I want to encourage you, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, would the Bible call you a fool? Have you said in your heart, there is no God? Do you hope that there's no God because otherwise you're going to have some uh, accounting to do? Say, Pastor, I, I know there's a God. I've been a Christian for many, many years. Did you know you didn't deserve that? That's something to be thankful for. Because all that stuff that I described about, uh, about that depravity that affects each of us, and affects all parts of us, so that the, the good deeds that we think that we're doing, 
It's like filthy rags. It's not united in faith, doesn't please God, doesn't impress Him. And maybe your response today is to give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His mercy endures forever and you're a living testimony of that. Maybe you have somebody in your family that's rejecting God. They're the atheist. They're the person who worships someone or something other than the one true God. Pray for that person. So we want to we want to convince them ourselves we can't do it. That's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings spiritual life, not us. But pray for that person. Pray that God would move on their hearts. That they would see the foolishness of rejecting the true and the living God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for uh, this nation as a whole, as many people have, um, many people have turned from you. I pray for this nation because many people who claim to be your people are being shown every day to not be. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us to make our own salvation, our own calling sure. We thank you that we didn't earn it, but solely an act of grace. And by your grace, we're kept as well. Lord, I pray for anybody that's hearing me today that, that, that the Bible will call a fool. They've rejected Christ. They've rejected you. They're in open rebellion. For those people in our, our, our circle of friends, our families, God, I pray that you'd move on their hearts and let them come to faith in you. And God, we thank you for your, for your rich mercy, your grace, which, um, which saves wicked people like us when we didn't deserve it. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for those times when we've lived like we're atheists. But we've not lived up to the standards that you've called us to, the standards that we know. God, we pray for forgiveness for those times too. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.